This is Divorce Happy Hour, a show about divorce and issues people face going through divorce. Your co-hosts are Christina Previtt and John Nocklinger. For more information about the show and to connect with us, head over to divorcehappyhour.com. And now, on to today's show. Hey, everybody. It looks like we're live. Thank you so much for joining us today for another episode of Divorce Happy Half Hour. We're going to be streaming live on Facebook every Friday at 12.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, just for half an hour because we know y'all are busy. And joining me today, our special guest is Nancy Berger. You have seen her before. She is communication specialist and executive coach. She works with individuals and companies to build emotionally healthy cultures. She also works with people to identify what's holding them back. And that is something that we are going to talk about today because a lot of you that may be thinking about divorce probably have a little bit of that in in the back of your mind. So thank you for joining me today, Nancy. Happy to be here, Christina. Always good to see you. Yes, we've had you on many times. It's always an excellent conversation. I feel like you're always really able to just dive in and really, you're so insightful about these kinds of situations. Like, Well, maybe it's because I've been through this situation personally, you know? I mean, that it may be that the intersection of my personal and professional life makes this kind of a, a relevant topic for us to talk about. So I'm sure that is true. We know life experience is the best teacher. So why don't we dive in? So what I wanted to focus on today uh, for the most part is addressing the whole thought process that goes behind making a decision to get a divorce. So in my practice, I see a lot of people that they come to me. Obviously it's something that they're thinking about they're in various stages of decision. Like they haven't quite made a decision. Some have, and they're ready to move forward. But so many other people just have a hard time really making the decision that this is what I want. It's time and I'm going to do it now. So what can you tell us about that? Well, I'd like to start with the concept of permission. Uh, and giving ourselves permission. Because something that I have noticed in my work and something that maybe you have noticed in your practice is that oftentimes people are looking to get permission to want to leave a marriage. And as simplistic as that sounds, it is not an easy process, emotionally, spiritually, mentally, because there's so much chatter and noise in our heads about it. Now, each experience is unique. I'm not meaning to generalize, but I have found by and large that there's this sort of, well, oh, but the kids are, oh, but the, what will people think and and the hurt and the guilt and what will happen to the partner? You know, they'll be devastated or, so we take on everyone else's experience of our life in that moment. And then often it's easier just to shut it down and say, it's just too much work. It's just too hard. So it is an inflection point. It's a crossroads, a moment in time where, and for your listeners and for your audience, it may be like, just feel the discomfort in that moment and think about what you want. Strip it down. Do I want to stay or do I want to go? Will I be happier if I leave even though there's hurdles and there's difficulties and I'm navigating things with kids and family. And I, sometimes it's just that simple 
fact, that simple moment of giving ourselves permission to want something different, that's a good foundation to build from. And you know what? I feel like that applies to so many other areas of life. Like every day is what, even if you're not thinking about divorce, giving yourself permission to do the things that you want to do, doing the things that light you up. I feel like so many of us, especially women, you know, feel like we have to put everybody else first. And yes, it's hard to give yourself permission to do that, to it not do that. To not do. And, and we've been so, and it's socialization, you know, I think, when I talk about permission, I also want to note that it's difficult for us to metacognate. It's difficult for us to notice our thoughts instead of believe them. So when we can start noticing how we're thinking and saying, is that really true? Is that based on fact or is that based on my own narrative? It can be a tricky exercise because we're in our own brains all the time, but it is a starting point. And a lot of the work I do with clients, it's like, let's notice if you're getting reactive, if you're starting to feel guilt, if you're starting to feel whatever, because you can't control your feelings, let's unpack it, notice it, because then we can connect dots as to why you may be knee-jerking to certain behaviors or reactions or whatever it is. And it's kind of like pulling a thread on a sweater, you know? The more you do it, you kind of start to get a pile of yarn and you're enlightening yourself about, oh, I'm doing that thing that I do every time I'm in this situation. And then we can really get to what's the root of it. Maybe there's an early life experience you had that's led you here. Maybe there's just so much going on in our brains at any given moment. And when you're facing a big life transition like divorce or changing jobs or starting your own business or pick your thing, we can find reasons to stop ourselves every time. Oh, yeah. We're finding reasons to give ourselves permission and then maybe understanding a little bit how we're wired and why we think the way we do, that can open up a lot of doors. Definitely. And, you know, for people that are listening and might be in that place right now, just kind of thinking about it and sort of tortured with, you know, why can't I make a decision? What do I want to do? Is there anything more practical that can do? Like, I'm just going to make stuff up. I don't know what you think. Journaling, a pros and cons list. Like, yeah. I don't know. What are some practical things? That yes. You uh, journaling, you know, is, is such a vast, you know, there's so many different types of journaling. And, and for some people, they're kind of like, yeah, well, what's that going to do for me? So what I like to suggest that people do is write down when they have episodes where they get really reactive or they get really frightened or they, it's easier to just stuff the thing down than really, than face it head on. Write those down. Write down what your feeling was, what thought emanated from that, and what was the situation surrounding it? Was it that you were talking to your mom and complaining about a dynamic with your partner and your mom said something that made you, I say in quotes, made you feel guilty or made you feel insecure or reactive? But write it down, write it down. And then keep a, keep a running list of that because that's like a dot connecting exercise. You can start to see patterns. And oh, every time I talk to my mom, I get off the phone and I, and I have, my mouth is dry. I have butterflies in my stomach. I have a stomach ache, whatever it is. Or I talk to my mom about this and I get off the phone. I feel calmer. What did we talk about? What was the situation? What were, what were the circumstances surrounding it? This helps us create a, a, you know, sort of a fact set because when we're in it, we can't really separate ourselves too much. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, I love that. And it doesn't require you to really make a conscious effort to pay attention to those yes, things. Yes, to pay attention to yourself. 
like I'm still making realizations. Of course, I've been in therapy for 30 years and I go every week. Um, but we are still connecting dots, you know, because as you change, you go through life, you know, my children are adults now. But sometimes I have this reactive thing where I get this primal protection kind of reaction when something happens to one of my adult children, which is normal adulting, like disappointment or heartbreak or whatever. And I become so reactive. And I actually finally unpacked that and understood it had nothing to do with them. It had everything to do with me and the way I was socialized as a child and the way I was dealt with. So, and it's not about blaming people, it's about understanding yourself. Because once you do, you have your journal, you have your list of experiences, you start to connect dots, and then you start to notice those patterns, and then you can change your thoughts around them, create new neural pathways, change your brain, and then suddenly you are reacting differently in situations, and that creates a new path for you. It's, it's possible. Totally, yeah, it's, it totally does work. And, you know, for anybody who's maybe new to this kind of like personal development coaching kind of space. Um, it, it may feel a little weird at first, but do the things because it, it absolutely does help so much. And you might even feel a little weird or silly doing it at first, but it's amazing the observations that you'll make about yourself. And something else that I'm thinking as we're talking about this is a lot of the excuses that people make. And, you know, in particular, if they're thinking about getting a divorce, it's like, well, now's really not the best time. Like I do, I want to do it, but now's not the best time. I'm going to wait till the kids graduate and then we'll do it. And then like they sort of feel better because they feel like they made a decision. But, you know, what do you think about that? Like, did they really make a decision or didn't they? I have a really strong opinion about that, which, you know, I like to be sensitive to, as I said, everybody has a unique set of circumstances and I would never dictate to others how to handle that big life transition. Having said that, not doing it for the kids is not doing a favor for the kids because the children are sponges to your modeling. So they are picking up your cues and your signals on how to do relationships. And if you are unhappy in yours, and it doesn't have to be some big dramatic kind of unhappy where you're fighting or there's verbal abuse or heaven forbid there's domestic abuse, like whatever. Doesn't have to be that. It can be subtle. It can be disconnection between parents. This is all observed very keenly by your children. Do not kid yourself in thinking that it's not. And you are in that moment teaching them, you are modeling them how to do relationships. So if you want to teach that, keep in mind that maybe it would serve your children to teach them that life is messy, that there can be love with disconnection, that there can be co-parenting in a divorce, that there can be family, no matter what the legality of it is, and you can model that for them. You are setting them up for a strong adulthood because life is messy. It's not we can't compartmentalize. Well, we're going to just stay together until they go to college. And oh, that's then that's a good time when they first go out into the world as a college student living in a dorm. And then they're going to get a call from home that you're, you see what I mean? So yeah. they, I really urge people to check themselves on those kind of canned 
thoughts where it's better to wait or to because your kids are noticing everything you do and they're learning how to do relationships from you. Yeah, we were talking about adulting before we went yeah. live. Yeah. And I don't know if anyone's ever said this before, but I feel like it's relationshiping. Yeah. Right? Like use that because I think that's so perfect. Like everybody knows what adulting means, but we're relationshiping, right? And you are. You're, you're so right about that, that we're showing our kids all the time, whatever age they are, we're teaching them how to be a person in the world. Yes. And what to expect from life and how to treat other people, how to let other people treat you, every little thing. You know, my goddaughter's nine, so I've watched her grow up to be nine. She's still got a ways to go. But it's like when she's real little, it's like little things like just copying me how to hold a fork. But then, you know, as life goes on, those things get a little more complicated. And part of that is having her observe the kind of relationships that you have with people. Yes. So I, I hope people think about that more. I do too. Cause that's a real stick. That's a sticky point and it's hard. And look, I, I've done, I've gone through this myself. It's very, very difficult. And I can say my adult children went through this. We went through it as a family we did it with as much kindness, my former husband and I, with as much kindness as we could. And sometimes we weren't too good at that. Um, they saw a lot of things. And I will tell you that in a way now, later, you know, six years later, our family unit is, is still very strong and they have learned to navigate difficulty. They have learned to, okay, today mom cried you know, my son would meet me for lunch one day and I just started crying. And he said, you know, mom, do you want, maybe we should get you a cat. Like, like it was just a funny moment. We still <laughs> laugh about it, it we st but it was him trying to care for me in a, it, it's just kind of beautiful. All the dynamics that I've watched go on, how they value our time when we can be there. So there's lots of there's lots of goodness that can come out of a very icky situation in a divorce. And some divorces are ugly and there's no getting around it and there's and there's backlash and then there's collateral damage. I'm not trying to spin it as it, it's always great. It's not, it's hard no matter what. But goodness can come out of fairly difficult things. And when kids are exposed to messy, they really get strong. Yeah, I, I've, you know, I've heard um, from, from kids like different things. Like I've heard them say things like, gosh, my parents had a terrible marriage and then a terrible divorce. I'm never getting married. That turns them one way. Um, but I've also, I've also heard younger people say, well, my parents are married. They're still married, but I don't think that they have a good marriage. I don't, you know, I don't want that kind of life and I'm not going to get married. So sometimes the influence you think that you're having on your kids, like if you're one of those people that's saying, well, I'm going to stick it out and we're just going to get through this because that's the, what I want to model for my kids. Um, you know, sometimes you don't realize what you're modeling. Exactly right. And, and kind of to pivot to another angle of this that I think is huge in particularly, I think in women's minds is, is money. And, you know, if they have been raising kids throughout their married life, and then they're faced with going back into the workforce if they were to divorce, it can be petrifying, absolutely yeah. petrifying. Forget the, the fact that it's, you know, they've been out of the market for a while. 
but just like, well, who would hire me? What would I ever do? Like just this, all of this, like, I can't do it. Fear, just like a brick on top, you know, of all of the other stuff, like going through the divorce, getting the right, you know, settlement, all of this stuff. It's just overwhelming. It's too much. And then the shame attached with even talking about it or who do I talk to about it? But I wanted to mention it because personally, I've been involved in, you know, organizations that do nothing but try to help women come back into the workforce after being out of it for decades and raising children. I mean, there's organizations that bolster these women and help them, give them skills. There's, you know, networking, all sorts of resume writing, all sorts of resources available. So I would just urge women that are listening not to give up on themselves. It doesn't matter if you've been out of the workforce for two decades. It is so hard to find talent. Companies are looking for talent. They're looking for people with skills. So even, you know, being multitasking and being a, a stay-at-home mom for two decades, you have skills. You mm -hmm. may not think you do, but some of these organizations are just masterful at helping with that. So I would just, I just wanted to mention that because that can be such a scary part. I, yeah, I've, I hear that again and again, and I don't want to discount that. It's, I, I don't mean to suggest that you should just say, well, I'm thinking about divorce. I'm just going to go ahead and do it. I mean, obviously you need to be informed. You need to be educated. You want to have a plan. And I get that. But what we're talking about today really is just that first decision. Yeah. To be honest with yourself and be in integrity with yourself and recognize when you are don't want to be in the marriage anymore. And then, you know, there are steps after that, but you won't ever do any of the steps or ever even look into any of the other steps if you don't actually make a decision in your own head that, that it's what you want. I know. And, and it's like, even that you're so right about that, that decision. It's like, because people may think, well, there's still love, like there's love here. Mm -hmm. well, yeah. There's a lot of kinds of love. I, I, I love my former husband. A lot of love, a lot of respect, a lot of admiration. It's different than a marriage relationship. Marriage relationship is a certain kind of love, right? Yeah. But we that's, again, that permission piece. We don't, oh, well, what do I expect? We've been married for 25 years. What do I expect? Well, expect what you expect, you know? Tap into that. What is it that you want? And it's okay to expect that. If you don't have it, that's something to pay attention to. Yeah. Um, so well, tell me, what is the difference between what you do and like what maybe a therapist would do? Oh, okay. That's a great question. I'm glad <laughs> you asked it. I'm glad you asked it because a lot of times what I do is end up referring someone to a mental health care professional. Um, so I can guide people to unpack early life experiences. I have infographics and worksheets and all sorts of exercises and activities that I do and I teach and I train on to understand your imprinting and first family modeling and help and maybe connect dots to what you're struggling with now and the neuroscience behind it. It's all evidence-based strategies that I teach. That said, sometimes people are struggling with past traumas, for example, past traumas that could be anything from, you know, harsh dialogue in the first family home um, discouraging, belittling, you know, whatever, demeaning kind of environment to violent trauma, something awful that happened to them. And that's a continuum. 
we've all had difficult times in life, which and the and the definition of trauma has expanded quite a bit over, over the years. But if someone has has been traumatized as a young person and they they show signs of post-traumatic stress or you know they get triggered very easily by certain situations. That's not something that I'm qualified to handle. And I almost always will refer them to a, a trauma specialist because why? I could ignore it and not just not touch on it, right? Because I'm not qualified to do so. However, a person like that could talk all day long every day about whatever's troubling them. But trauma like that lives in your nervous system. It's in your body and it will come out anytime it's triggered. That's why they call them triggers. And it cannot be talked through because your cerebral cortex, the logic part of your brain can't compute that, right? So that requires a specialized kind of therapy and there's many and it can be life-changing. But if people have trauma that's embedded in their nervous system, it will show up and they won't really realize why it's showing up. They can't connect dots like that. It's too difficult. And then I will often refer, refer them out. So the difference between what I do and therapy is vast. But because there's so many different types of, of uh, difficulties people have, so many different kinds of things that hold them back, I can usually tell in, in a consult, my first consultation with someone when we're kind of getting to know each other, what their level of, of difficulty is. And, and as I said, oftentimes I will refer them out. And if there is somebody that is considering divorce and they want to kind of flesh things out with you, is that something that you could work with them on? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, um, and I always just do a, a free consultation with people to just, if they want to just kind of hear what I'm about and what I can offer and what I don't offer, always happy to do that. Because sometimes it's just a matter of having a sounding board and, yeah. from which you can give yourself the permission to make that decision. And I have found that with clients in the past and they'll work with me for a little while and then they'll go through their divorce and get their therapist and whatever. But I can, I can serve that purpose for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I tell people that, you know, our girlfriends are a wonderful source of support for us, but they're not always the best at giving advice because they're, you know, they're sort of involved in some way, right? They're friends with you. It's like, they're always going to tell you, you look great, right? <laughs> Christina, well, right. they're living their own wounds. We all live yeah. our wounds. So they're going to give you advice based on their own fears, even with love, right? Be, well, you know, because they're afraid of the thought of it. They may say, well, you know, you really want to think. And then what happens? And we start second guessing ourselves. And so you kind of want to have a clean path of communication with someone who's objective. Yes. That, I guess that's what really what I was getting at is you want someone who's objective. You know, you don't want someone who always agrees with everything you say, but at the same time, isn't, it's just emotionally removed from the whole situation. Yes, exactly um, right. So I put your website up. I Hopefully that's it. I Googled you. That's your website. NCRBurger.com. Yes. And uh, just, I would encourage people to shoot me an email directly, explore at NancyRBurger.com and or you could set up a call through my website on Calendly, whatever's easiest, but I'm very accessible all over social. And so it's not hard to find me. Well, thank you so much for all the information. As usual, you're brilliant. I could listen to this all day. So, because I, I think it's important to people that are getting a divorce, but it's so relevant in so many other areas too. Yeah, well, thank you for doing it because you help people get some courage and honor themselves by doing this. So I, I, it's a great you. service. 
Thank you. I appreciate that. And thank you all for watching the Divorce Happy Hour, Happy Half Hour podcast today. And join us again next week, uh, every Friday at 12.30 p.m. right here, Eastern Time. And we'll talk to you next time. Bye. Thank you for listening. For more information, check out divorcehappyhour.com. And please don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. See you next time.